Oasis. Practical Wisdom with Scott Allen. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in this beautiful world. My name is Scott Allen, and I am the host of Phronesis, Practical Wisdom for Leaders. I am an Associate Professor of Management at John Carroll University in Cleveland, Ohio, USA. I'm an author, an entrepreneur, a speaker, a nonprofit founder, and the host of two podcasts. I'm also a husband and dad of three. You just heard from Kate, my daughter, who wrote and performed the Phronesis intro. Phronesis offers a smart, fast-paced discussion on all things leadership. My guests are scholars and practitioners, and we cover timely, relevant topics and incorporate practical tips designed to help you make a difference in how you lead and live. Now, I am proud to share that Phronesis is the official podcast of the International Leadership Association, an association that is near and dear to my heart. ILA brings together leaders and those who teach, study, and develop leadership, advancing leadership knowledge and practice for a better world. Learn more at ilaglobalnetwork.org. If you like what we're up to, please click subscribe so you can stay up to date as we release new episodes each week. You can also share what we're up to with others. And now, today's show. Okay, everybody, good afternoon, good evening, good morning, wherever you are in the world. I have a returning guest, and I'm so excited, Sharna, for this conversation because your episode is one of the most popular episodes of Phronesis. It, and I've sent you, even, even as I've used it in class a little bit, I, at times I think I've sent you some clips of observations and reflections from students about our conversation that we had probably, I think it was probably last summer, if I'm not mistaken. I'm excited to kind of continue the conversation. And you've been on an adventure. You've, you've published the book you mentioned in our first episode, and that's where we are going to take things today. But maybe if you would, to start us off, reintroduce yourself to listeners, and then we'll jump in. Okay. Yeah. I'm I just want to say I'm so honored to be back for a second time on Phronesis. I am a big fan of Phronesis. I, I really, I really appreciate it. I'm honored to be back. The book that was published in February is called Lead and Follow. And I think what's maybe most interesting for this listenership is that it's it's maybe the only book that I know of that talks about leadership and followership as a set of skills or one of the few. There's there's definitely a few more out there. So that's what I was after. My, I'm a dancer by training and I found my way into coaching more recently. And so I'm kind of coming into the exploration of leadership from the, the dance world, from my experience, particularly of partner dance, of which is, of course, a dance of leading and following. And so I've translated a bit of that embodied knowledge into framework that can be used in the workplace. And so that's what I've been working with. And so I'm going to say a quote that very beautifully kind of sums up what you just said from the book. My life as a social dancer showed me that superior work, not to mention the most satisfying work, comes not from everyone leading all of the time, but from leaders and followers working together. And I think that kind of captures the spirit of you and your work. Would you agree? Yes. It's always funny to hear your words read back to you, but yeah. I'm... Like who was that? That sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> who wrote that? Um, yeah. I'm just endlessly fascinated with that coming together. Right. And I know leading and following is not always 
not always the words people love to use, but there's some sort of coming together of complementary ways of being, you know, even if you just say speaking and listening, you know, or organizing and performing, uh, that creates some magic. And I'm just endlessly fascinated with, with that, either, you know, between two people or in, you know, in a group that's much larger. Yeah. And I love the, that phrasing of magic. I, I read the blog post that you placed onto LinkedIn today. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed that because you were kind of getting into your experiences of late where even people have been pushing back on some of those terms that in your experience of leadership and followership, would you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that's, you know, that's also maybe something that I've been paying attention to since the book was published. And I've been immersing myself in these discussions more is for a long time now, I think those of us who are interested in followership have been defending followership, you know, as a word, right? Like, no, no, it exists. It's a thing. It's valuable. And there's all sorts of stereotypes, right? That we know that go along with that. Like, oh, followers are passive and servile and who wants to be a follower, right? Nobody. (laughs) But now there's also this little bit of similar thing about leadership even. And I, I understand why, you know, like, oh, leadership, that's too much about domination and authoritarianism. And we don't want that. Let's get rid of leadership too. So I understand where it's coming from, but like, because the argument is so familiar to me from the followership world, it really made me question it. So that's what led me to write that article. I thought, well, wait a minute, we can't have like no leading and no following at all. Like what happens then? So yeah, I I became concerned about that. And that sort of brought me to writing it out, you know, as I often do to kind of clarify my own thoughts. I think you're exactly right. I mean, I don't know. I tend not to get too caught up in some of the semantics of this conversation of leadership or followership. I have been reflecting though lately, and this stemmed out of I'm involved in what's called the collegiate leadership competition. And so we have a, we have a curriculum for the, the CLC. And there was a group of us this summer really revising and kind of tweaking and really taking a close eye at the curriculum. And it's really interesting because there's one, this is a curriculum that has some acronyms. So Teams Mm -hmm. has an acronym, Trust Matters, Accountability Matters, Emotions Matter. Something we were talking about was this kind of notion of teaming and thinking about that almost as a verb. Because I had an episode with with Ron Riggio where he said something to the effect of, well, you know, leaders don't do leadership. They co-create it with followers, right? They Mm -hmm. co-create whatever it is that exists with followers. And so then I kind of, I just started going through this thought experiment of, well, what does it mean to team effectively? Because like you said, when we have that, there's this magic, right? Mm -hmm. And I love obviously the metaphor of tango and coming together and creating new. And -hmm. again, getting to that place of magic. And we talked a lot about some of that, of your thinking there in their first episode, but teaming. Is that a word? I don't know, <laughs> you know, but at least then it's, it's a, we, and it's collectively, regardless of our roles, we need to figure out how we move forward, how we create, how we get to that magic. Yeah. I think, I feel like I've heard that term somewhere. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm, was it Amy Edmondson who started it could talking be. about that? It could be, yeah. yeah it, for some reason, her name is popping into my head in relation to that word. So I might be wrong, but I think that, you know, the utility of the words, for me is in the experience of what happens there, right? So mm-hmm. in environments where the assertion has been made that there's no leader or you know, everyone's just here and we're doing something, those experiences tend to be less productive to me. Yeah. Um, whereas if I'm in an environment where 
even if it's shared leadership, right? I've been in lots of consensus-based groups or groups where facilitation rotates. And there's if there's at least an acknowledgement that, you know, someone is gathering the group, say, yeah. you know, for a purpose, like that has to happen. Uh, and then there's, you know, there's understanding that everyone will speak and participate, right? That's sort of in my mind, like a leadership function, like expressing. And then there's like this other function of listening or receiving or collecting information. So like in some way, I feel like these things need to be coordinated, right? Yeah. And so again, the utility of using words like leading, following, or like facilitating, participating, if there's a parity with those two functions, I find that the experience is more satisfying and productive. Well, there's there's clarity. There's there's norms that are established. There's organizing principles, at least. And mm-hmm. I think to your point, I think as as human beings, we need some of that. Otherwise, you just have a tea group and you're kind of sitting there. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And that kind of reminds me, I mean, I'm sort of jumping ahead here, but just as you're saying, we need that. It's reminded me of a lot of the comments I've gotten since the book has come out. Um, I try to predominantly work with individuals right now. So a lot of my clients are, they're individuals, not teams. Yeah. And so a lot of them will say, oh, this is great. Cause now I can actually figure out when I need to lead and when I need to follow. I think it is a wonderful thing to do with a group, right? This sort of curriculum or something similar where you're, you know, working on both sets of skills, but even on the individual level, I've been pleasantly surprised to hear people say, oh, you know, I can use this just with myself in shifting what mode I'm in, in any given conversation. So that's been like a wonderful discovery and something I find gratifying. I so very much appreciate. And I think you just said, as I was mentioning to you before we got on air, sometimes I black out <laughs> during these conversations. <laughs> so if I'm not, if this isn't what you just said, please, please let me know. <laughs> but I think you you had mentioned, and, and what I love about, you, you know, you have skills on both sides. For me, it was in our conversation last summer where it really transformed my perspective that oh, wow, there are skills on both sides. And are we able, and in that conversation, we talked about, look, sometimes you serve in the role of leader as a mm-hmm. dancer. Sometimes you you serve as, in the role of follower as a dancer. And are we skilled at both? And so those skills on both sides of the equation and that mindset of people who are in quote unquote follower roles, that's, a, that's an active role. That's not a passive if you're doing it well, it's an activity. It's active, just as active as leadership. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. And, you know, I would say, I mean, if you're doing it well, it is, right? And we yeah. tend to think, oh, leading is always good and following is always bad. But, you know, leading is also not so good if it's passive and, you yes. know, checked out, right? So in, on either side, there needs to be that healthy commitment and engagement from the person. I was just flashing to an example. Maybe this would be useful to mention one of my individual clients who found this interesting for, for that very reason, like when just kind of switch from one to the other, noticed, right, just taking inventory of herself, like, oh, I would go to my supervisor, but I would be kind of speaking in a in a leading sort of manner. And I think that often happens because there's more emphasis on leadership and more training, but they would frequently have conflicts. So I thought, okay, well, what if we, do, you know, what if we look at that? Is there a way you could just speak differently or approach that? from more of a like follower direction and would that make a difference in the outcome? And, you know, we tweaked a couple of things and of course all this is very individual, but that was a really good observation that without even knowing it, we might go in and, you know, to a a person who, where we want to be in a follower role, you know, 
and just automatically say something like, well, I think here's, here's what should be done or would you do this? And that comes off, you know, it can come off unintentionally as the leader energy, right? Where the, the appropriate energy is more of a support energy. So you just change how you say something, it can have a really different result. Yes. I thought that was a fascinating, very subtle, but very useful discovery. Yes. And then as a follower, you're running little experiments and am I getting new results because this mm-hmm. is how I'm approaching it? And is this couching it this way or communicating in this manner work with this individual? Mm-hmm. And again, it's very active. It's not some passive, everything's happening to me type role. What else have you been hearing or thinking about since the book was published? And I know you just started a podcast. We're going to have all of that in the in the <laughs> show notes so people can connect with you uh, in that way as well. What are some other observations that you've had since publishing the book or even just some thoughts that are on your mind as of late, <laughs> as you kind of think about this? As you know, it's a beautiful space that keeps at least my mind, energized and active always. (laughs) Absolutely. And uh, yeah, I really want to thank you again for encouraging me to start the podcast. Uh, That happened definitely around the last time we did this, the first interview. Uh, So here we are. And now I have my own podcast. (laughs) With a warning, warning to all of your future guests on Fernesis to end up with your own podcast. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think in addition to a lot of these sort of small, subtle things that people have tried and had success with the podcast, the lead and follow podcast that I started has expanded my own mind to what lead and follow could, could mean on a grander scale. So, you know, for example, on a political level, like if we leave work, you know, what does that mean if we start thinking of leading and following in you know, in a democracy or, you know, on a, even like a, like a school board on a small scale of something like that. And is there a way to use a framework like that leading and following to diagnose in a way, the balance of power? Is that a useful way to think about it? And then of course we have, you know, elections and, you know, the whole idea of, of representation, but beyond that, there's more, there's a lot more we could delve into there. And like, what is support from like a civic perspective? You know, what is, leadership, then, you know, if you're there to kind of serve the public will, what happens when that isn't happening? And I had, there's a wonderful, I'll just give a little shout out to Alanda Salas, who did a wonderful episode on social movements, courageous followership and social movements over long periods of time, like over years and years and generations. And what does that look like and how to kind of get your mind around that on such a big scale? I had a guest on and the 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 episode was released a, a couple of weeks ago, Beth Zemsky. And, you know, I think since 1977 in New York, she had been involved in uh, LGBTQ plus initiatives mm-hmm. since since 77. And so to have her perspective and her reflections and that conversation of Anthony Fauci was the enemy in the beginning. And wasn't convinced that AIDS was a problem. And, yeah. you know, just to have someone with that perspective, that long-term perspective, and then the wisdom that she brought to the conversation, it really is, it's fascinating to think about it in that period of decades, long mm-hmm. periods of time, right? Yeah. And maybe similarly, this is something uh, that came up on, an, I'll just go through my podcast guests because they're all brilliant. <laughs> um, but the, yeah, the idea here was like, what do we learn about followership from the social justice movement? You know, and I loved, um, this is a Ryan Moody episode on followership as consent. And what is, 
you're thinking about being an ally, especially as a, as a white person, right? I'm a white woman thinking of being an ally to the movement for black lives, for example, or, or the LGBT movement putting like, you know, I think some of us like good progressive liberals want to be like, Oh, I'll jump in there and start a, start an organization or something. And that's actually not very useful, right? The useful thing is to say, how can I support? How can I follow? Mm. That is the most appropriate and powerful thing. So I, I love thinking about allyship as, as being a really great follower. And that seemed really useful to me in a practical way. Like, you know, what can I do? You know, is find something to follow and yeah. throw your support behind it. What else? What else is on your radar or are you reflecting on that that comes to mind? Well, I, I'll be honest with you. I mean, I've been thinking a lot about the ideology of supremacy Okay. And I know that sounds kind of big, but, you know, and I don't pretend to really have my head around this yet, but the more I sank my awareness into like lead and follow as a, as an opportunity to change a very hierarchical relationship, right. Into like a less hierarchical one or a more equitable one. It kind of led me to this idea of, all right, well, there's this, you know, we're wrestling right now as a nation, maybe as a world with a lot of these sort of deeply embedded assumptions about supremacy and like what, you know, some groups better than other groups and some groups more entitled to be in charge than others, the extremity of the harm that's come from that, the extremity of the destruction and violence that's come from that. And, um, you know, it may seem like a stretch to kind of leap out of the dance floor into the workplace and then into this huge, you know, area of human ranking. Um, But another way, it's still kind of all about the same thing. It's for me, it's like organizing power and power can be organized in a way that's more harmful and violent or more supportive, protective, nurturing. You know, I think we're maybe always going to be on that spectrum somehow as a, as a human uh, family. So that's what I've been sinking my mind in right now. And uh, is there any way that I can connect, right? The idea of leading, following, speaking, listening, with projects that are concerned with equity on whatever level, whatever scale, community scale or business scale, or for me, there is some kind of thread there. And whenever you talk about hierarchy, there's, there's an idea of, well, where did that come from? Is it functional or is it just arbitrary? Have you read the book Sapiens? Have you heard of it? I have heard of it. It is definitely on my list. Okay. Yeah. Put Elevate it. Okay. Because it's a really interesting, it's a really interesting perspective. It's kind of like the history of humans. Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating to look at this topic on that horizon uh, through that lens, so to speak. It's, it even starts with, look, we, sapiens were just one of, one of many, mm-hmm. Homo erectus and Neanderthals. Yeah. And for some reason, Homo sapiens are the only one left. And they don't know if that's because the Homo sapiens killed all the others, or if it's Mm -hmm. because they mated their way into supremacy, we don't know. That hierarchy, yes, it it seems to be embedded deeply in us. And how do we evolve to a place? And I think some countries and some societies for sure have that mindset, are are further along than others. (laughs) But how do we evolve into a place where at least baseline levels are met, People have access to whatever it is they're supposed to be in the world, and this, those inequities are minimized mm-hmm. because as, as I read the work of the gentleman who wrote Sapiens, it's deeply embedded. It's deeply embedded. And it is in the animal kingdom as well. 
mm-hmm. it, it, you know, Jane Goodall, some of her work, or there's a gentleman at Stanford who studies primates and stress. And that's really, really interesting. There's some documentaries that he's done, but just the hierarchy of the system and who's in charge and how they maintain authority and power. And mm-hmm. wow, how do we how do we move as a species to a space that's beyond some of that primal ways of being? Yeah, or I don't know that suggests, I mean, I'm certainly not an expert in this area, but I don't know that I would suggest trying to get rid of it. You know, I mean, it's, as you're saying, baked in, it's part of our wiring, but you know, a lot of things are part of our wiring. Yes. You know, we I, also have, you know, a cognitive ability and we also have a prefrontal cortex, you know, with which we can self-reflect. <laughs> right. And so I feel like yeah. <laughs> the answer is not just like, oh, well, it's baked in, you know, yeah. let's just kill each other. You know, that's like not... <laughs> the answer right that wasn't what i was suggesting yeah so it's like how do we evolve right yeah like we're aware of this how do we work with it like i mean even i even feel like that's similar to like my coach training which is okay don't deny anything about yourself you know we all have shadows we all have parts of ourselves that we might not love can we learn to accept those and as we do that process generally they get softer they get less harmful. And so on a collective level, can we do something like that? That's, I guess, the question I've started to answer is like, okay, let's not reject this about ourselves. There's certainly something about ranking that has a function, right, to our survival. Um, and I can think of lots of examples in my own life where I've been like, yeah, take over. You be yeah. in charge. I'm glad you know? you're here. I am. Damn exactly. It, I'm glad you're taking <laughs> care of that. You know, and then other times where it feels appropriate to have more of a dialogue, a sit down, a back and forth, you know. And so I think there is room for a really wide spectrum of this. Yeah. You know, without having to reject any any of it, but thinking, okay, if I'm gonna be in a position where I'm in more in charge, like more in a hierarchical role as a leader, like, okay, how am I doing that in a way that is serving everyone is like not harming people, just like the kind of basic non-harming principle. Yeah. Similarly, like if I'm in a follower role in that the same scenario, like how do I approach that in a way that is serving the whole, serving the group? I'm just puzzling over that. And I feel like the, intuitively, I feel like the answer is accept this about ourselves and then you know, just learn how to make it functional and not, you know, functional in a sense of what is it for? Why are we having this hierarchical organization if we have it? Or why do we have an equitable, like a more flat organization if we have it? Like there should be a reason for that, that everyone agrees on. Yeah. And it's conscious and it's intentional Mm -hmm. and it's, we're aware of the benefits and drawbacks of each, Mm -hmm. but in a general sense, are we hopefully kind of heading towards at least, you know, the UN goals of we have some baseline expectations that people have clean water and access mm-hmm. to education? And is that, and by many accounts, whether you look at the work of Steven Pinker or Peter Diamandis, I mean, as a globe, we've made mm-hmm. some progress in some of those areas for sure, mm-hmm. but there's work to do for sure. Anything that you, that you wrote in the book that you're like, now it's like you, you wrote the album and you're like, Ooh, why did I, why did I include track six? <laughs> or, or your thinking has kind of evolved or you're still just kind of questioning that even being there. Is there anything that comes up for you as an example? You know, I'm not sure I've, I, I feel like that day will come, but I'm not sure I have tested it thoroughly enough to know what needs to change. I'm sure it will. Cause you know, if I think of all my previous creative projects, you know, 
in dance or painting or writing, you know, it, it, there's always a moment where you're like, oh yeah, that's not relevant anymore. Or I know how to do that better now. Here's what I would say based on the feedback I've gotten for the past six months yeah. is that there's a lot more desire and interest in working with leading and following in, I wouldn't say non-hierarchical, but much less hierarchical teams, team environments than in what we might consider as a more conventional org chart type of leader follower, where the people who are responding to this book anyway, yeah. or, or showing interest in it, they are working in environments that are not very rigid in their hierarchy. And so I think if I were to rewrite this or write another one in the future, it would be probably more targeted towards that sort of environment. Whereas this book, I think, because I was so invested in articulating, like what are those pairs of skills? Yeah, I think yeah. it does come off a little bit more like you have a role and this is it and you know, work within it, which is fine. I mean, a lot of people are still in those environments, but it was a good note for me to, to realize that the people attracted to this are not really in those rigid hierarchical organizations anymore, or maybe they never were, but at any rate, right now they're not. And so they're using the material, as I mentioned before, more as like a self-development, like a simultaneous development of two skill sets in a single person. For me, it's just so intuitive though, Sharna, that, Mm -hmm. and push back on this if you disagree, but each one of us have roles and each one of us have skills that we should have mastery over. We should probably have mastery over all of them. So depending on the context, I can bring that to the table, Mm -hmm. uh, what's appropriate in the moment, because it's going to be a little bit of a dance and I may go to one meeting and I'm in charge and the next meeting I'm not, but can I play Mm -hmm. both, both positions well and team in a way that's going to get that, get to that magic, like you said, right? (laughs) I think so. I mean, I guess I'm biased, right? I wrote the book. I do, I do believe that. I do believe that. I wonder, this is not what anyone's told me, but I wonder if, if there is more resistance in those environments to this model than there might be in an environment that is more fluid. And perhaps that's where the feedback is coming from. I'm just speculating, but no, I completely agree with you. And I think, um, you know, I've talked to a few people who, who work in pretty dysfunctional environments, you know, that are very rigid and they will say to me, you know, they're, they're interested, but they would say, you know, no one, they're not ready for this. I can't bring this book into my manager and be like, everyone should read this. You know, they're just not ready, you know, culturally or educationally or for whatever reason, you know? Um, so that could, that could be a factor. Yeah. But, you know, when I do talk with them, I mean, I, this is more like for my edification, I guess, you know, and they'll describe situations. I'm like, oh, you know, that's chapter five. You know? <laughs> um, look, it's happening, you know, yeah. they're like, yeah, I know it's really frustrating, <laughs> but you know, this maybe speaks to the limits, right. Of a single person that you can, I would never say you can't make change on your own and people have, and sometimes in very remarkable ways, just by shifting their own perspective but there's definitely a limit there. And I don't want to pretend there isn't when you're an individual in an environment of, you know, sometimes hundreds where no one else is like wanting to make a shift right now. That's just a kind of reality. In fact, I had a, you know, client who decided to get a different job sort of for that reason. I mean, it wasn't a big conflict, but, you know, by reflecting on you know, what was going on, he just realized, oh, you know, my priorities here are just, they're just not the priorities of this team. And that's good for me to know. know Yeah, because I may be in a context where 
the leader is not interested in mm-hmm. followers being skilled. They need a pair of hands, go do it. Mm-hmm. And and in some, we, we just saw the fall as we're recording this of uh, the government in Afghanistan. Oh, yeah. In that yeah. context right now, I don't have any sense for what's happening, but that's a completely different context where you may be killed if you view yourself as a partner in this right now. Absolutely. Or uh, as an individual having voice or mm-hmm. expressing voice. It's so complex. It really is. In, in normal circumstances, in healthy organizations, I just think the world of how you're thinking about this. And, and Sharna, this has been a theme across a number of podcasts from some of the best scholars in the world who are really putting this kind of front and center as a topic that's just so important for exploration. Mm-hmm. So in that way, you're very much on the cutting edge of, okay, this is important. This is a topic we have to pay attention to. And again, to, to Ron's quote, you already said, you know, leaders don't do leadership. They co-create it with yeah. others, with followers. Yeah. I think that realization, the, the, the industry, if you're Barbara Kellerman or exactly. the area of research, <laughs> if you're a scholar, for so long has been focused on that individual. And, you know, Kellerman calls it the leadership system, the leader, the followers, Mm -hmm. and the contexts. And what's happening in all three of those that kind of creates whatever, the good, bad, and the ugly. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I just have, I have so much respect for the, the, the work that you do and how you're thinking about this and pushing the conversation forward. (laughs) (laughs) stumbling stumbling the conversation forward it feels like often yeah thank you scott thank you so much so what have you been listening to what have you been watching what have you been reading what have you what's been on your radar i recently finished isabel wilkerson's new book cast oh yes yes which blew my mind i mean her first book the warmth of other sons also blew my mind a beautiful elegant writer she she does something i've never seen before which is compare what she calls the American caste system, right? Which is white on top, black on bottom. And then in the middle, you have sort of Asian, Latinx mixed. And she describes it as a caste system uh, and compares that to the Indian caste system and the caste system under Nazi Germany and draws just, you know, brilliant and terrifying parallels, you know, between those in a way that just made me see it in a way I've never seen it before. And so, yeah, as I'm reflecting on power ranking, you know, all these structure in a kind of big abstract way, I found that very, very informative. And then I also listened to a a podcast, another podcast called Gaslit Nation, published by journalists Andrea Chalupa and Sarah Kenzior, who's author of a couple of really great books as well. Um, But their specialty is authoritarianism and corruption and so every week they go through the news and trace what's happening in our nation, also you know, connected to Ukraine and Russia and sort of what they call the uh, the transnational crime syndicate wow. <laughs> masquerading as a government. But it's very, it, it is sometimes hard to listen to, but it's, you know, they're, they're very good. They're, they're scholars as well as journalists. Again, it's like this window into, into a world I didn't really I mean, I know existed. It's a little hard to look at, but if you're a concerned citizen, I think in the United States, it's good to have a little bit of this information. And it's not typically covered by 
the major networks. So I appreciate their work, their journalism, and their research. Those are the things that I'm sitting with the past month or so. Well, I have two or three recommendations for you. So have you, do you have HBO Max by chance? I think I kind of turn it on and off. So I probably have one of these, like, I'll turn it on and watch a bunch of stuff and then turn it off. But, um, we I, do the from, same. We rotate yeah. Hulu and like Hulu has an incredible WeWork documentary right now. And oh, HBO Max has, and, and these are, these are all kind of really interesting from a follower standpoint, quote mm-hmm. unquote, and the dance. So LFG, it's called it's called LFG. There's a swear word in there, so I can't say the, <laughs> the, the official title, but it's about the women's soccer team and their quest for the U.S. women's soccer team and their quest for equal pay. Fantastic. So very interesting from a, fo- you know, quote unquote, mm-hmm. they are followers in the system and they are yeah. being very, very active. And so that was a really, really interesting program to watch. It was a film, it's a documentary. And, and another one that kind of came on my radar recently was this, there's another one about Theranos, the, uh, the company that was in the Bay area where really they raised billions of dollars, but it was all built on shoddy technology and it's called out for blood and the, the whistleblowers are the two individuals who really kind of started saying, no, this is not right. Um, and I'll put that in the show notes as well. Okay. So yeah, sounds great. Get a chance. Those are both on HBO Max. But then okay. the WeWork one on Hulu is very interesting as well. Just from I heard about that one. Yeah, yes. I heard yes. about it. It's it's a it's a wild kind of look into, and oftentimes it's a it's a charismatic who presents a a wonderful vision, mm-hmm. and sometimes that vision's intact, and sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's no one behind the curtain. <laughs> yeah. I mean, getting back to this idea of, you know, leading and following in kind of on a grander scale. I mean, I think we have to think about uh, some of these companies operate not very democratically. I think this year has so many people have said to me, you know, friends, clients, like, I'm really, really thinking my job, you know, do I, yeah. what am I doing here? And I think that's healthy in many ways to rethink, okay, you're working for this company for money. What would you do if, what if this company were, were run by its members? Yeah. You know, how would that change? Yeah. Maybe you would do something totally different. Maybe you wouldn't make these gadgets. Maybe you would do something else. I think there is something there to this sort of we, assumption we make about work where it's just always run by some extremely wealthy CEO and we're just there for whatever crumbs drip, drip down. Uh, I think we can rethink that. And maybe the leading following framework is, a, you know, is helpful for that. For listeners, the homework is to purchase lead and follow. <laughs> And answer that question and send Sharna a note <laughs> with your Please. ideas and thoughts. Uh, Sharna, so good to catch up with you. Good to see you again. I hope we do this again in another year and we'll reflect again on this topic. And thanks for the good work that you do. Again, for listeners, everything is in the show notes. So take a look and you can order the book. You can listen to the podcast. I'll put up a couple links to directly to some episodes. Sharna, be well, take care. Thank you so much, Scott. Always a pleasure. Thank you for all you do as well. Okay. Bye-bye. I hope you will go out and purchase Sharna's book, Lead and Follow. There's a link to this book in the show notes so that you can do so. I'm going to conclude with a quote from the book, which I just absolutely love. And it's under the header of uh, the case for followership. 
My life as a social dancer showed me that superior work, not to mention the most satisfying work, comes not from everyone leading all of the time, but from leaders and followers working together. Even if dancers change roles throughout the evening or within a single dance, the roles themselves must remain intact because they each represent distinct and complementary functions. Leading, no matter how skillful, does not remove the need for following, and neither does extraordinary following remove the need for leading. Rewind that, listen to it again, and let that sink in. Just beautifully said, beautifully said. Thank you for the work that you do, Sharna. Thank you for bringing this conversation to the table. Everyone, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Thanks for checking in. Take care and be well. You, my friend, have just finished another episode of Phronesis Practical Wisdom for Leaders. To get in touch with me, visit www.scottjallen.net or send me a note at scott at scottjallen.net. I can also be found on Twitter and on LinkedIn. Now, if you have feedback, I would love to hear it. And as always, thank you so much for listening to Phronesis. If you like Phronesis, I have a second podcast. It's called the Captovation Podcast. That's with an O, Captovation Podcast, where I speak with experts on the topic of designing and delivering incredible presentations. And now, Kate's twin sister, Emily, with the outro. You've been listening to Phronesis, Practical Wisdom with Scott Allen.